Welcome to the podcast of the Sunday Celebration from the Center for Spiritual Living in Huntsville, Alabama. We hope you feel the grace, the beauty, and the love of our community as you hear the message of the week. So we enter the present moment consciously, knowing that all we really have is the moment. And so we let the concept of time collapse, past and future, all enter into the sacred now. And we begin to see life differently, not as a linear process, but there is a wholeness in this in the unity that we are beginning to open to as our consciousness expands into a field of oneness unity consciousness looks at things differently than egoic consciousness uh, and so for the month of december we're going to explore the idea of being on the brink of everything being in present moment awareness at this particular moment gathering all the gifts and spiritual muscle from our past and looking toward the future with a cheerful expectancy where we open to possibility and hope and freedom and we allow for the creative impulse to assist us in moving from illusion to reality, in moving from the egoic self into the true self moving from the idea of separation to the idea of oneness. And we are on the brink of that realization. And so we take a conscious in-breath. And we say thank you symbolically and we exhale. And on that exhalation, we let go of whatever it is that no longer serves us. It may be an argument that we're having with someone that doesn't go anywhere. Just with that exhale, we just let go of that argument. We smile. It was Ramana Maharshi that said, there are three aspects to life. There is God, there is human folly, and there is laughter. He said, we experience God when we open our heart. The open-heartedness is the greatest virtue of spiritual oneness. Human folly, is inevitable because wherever we go, there we are. And so we're going to experience the contractions of our humanness and find mercy and grace in those contractions, knowing that sometimes the devastation is the doorway to transformation. And finally, the third aspect that Ramana Maharshi said about the universe is laughter. And they say the angels can fly because they take themselves lightly. And so we open to this cosmic sense of humor. Ah, as we give thanks for the emerging evolution of oneness. To not open your eyes and to be here now. So nice to look around. I see so much red out there. 
People must be telling me something. There's holiday cheer. So this is the lovely little book by Parker Palmer. And I've taught this before at the center, and I just fell in love with it. And I know Mary has a love affair with Parker Palmer, as do I. And he came from a similar background. He was raised in the Methodist church. And um, he even got his master's degree in spiritual psychology. But he says the Methodist church was too small for him spiritually, and he ended up becoming a Quaker. Because in the Quaker tradition, they recognize that there's a light within all creation. And they invite this emergence of this light. And he also sought a spiritual community. And so he went to live with a Quaker community in his own version of monasticism. But he said, I was kind of the strange monastic kind of person that had a wife and family, so I couldn't do what Thomas Merton did and go to a monastery. I had to find my own way. And so in this beautiful, uh, I might say a swan song, because he's written so many wonderful books. But this was, he said, I'll never write another one. But at age 80, Sylvia, Sylvia it had to come out. And so this is the, the take on that. And so this week, I'm going to explore the second aspect of being on the brink of everything, which Parker Palmer calls getting real. Getting real is moving from illusion to reality. And he says, give me somebody on this planet who can help burst our disillusionment and you'll show me someone who's really gonna save the world. Speak truth to ignorance. My friend Helen Street, uh, she's such a role model for me in ministry. And uh, she had a woman in her church named Sally. And Sally was married to the biggest womanizer in the church in Honolulu. And everybody knew it, but Sally was going to be loyal to the very end. So Helen was in her office one day and Sally came to the office and she said, oh, Helen, oh, Helen, it's just it. And she said, it's Waldo again, isn't it? She said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And what did he do now? She said, well, he ran off with another woman. And she says, well, what a surprise. No, it's worse than that. She said, she, he ran off with my best friend. And then Helen said, oh, she was a good friend, wasn't she? And then Sally kind of started to laugh, but she still wasn't. She said, okay, Sally, this is what I want you to do. I want you to get on that phone right now and send her a dozen roses. No, no, I can't do it. She said, Sally. So Sally, did she can't wait till they're old? Wait till the week? No, Sally, right now. She got on the phone and she's laughing and crying at the same time. And you say, thank you for setting me free. Now, that's kind of helping Sally with the illusion that she's okay without what's-his-face. So could we have enough friends that will stand up to ignorance when ignorance is right on your doorstep? You know, there's this equality of, what do they call it, Respect for Marriage Act that they passed in this country. And yet, as, as joyful as I am, Anne-Marie, I don't really feel that we're all the way there yet. I think there's something and it's going to change it. And... Um, could we find someone who'll burst the illusion of what it's supposed to be all about? Um, I noticed that they have a thing called Harry and Meghan, the true story of the royal family. And I love watching things like that because it's not what you think it is. And they told it from the version of Harry and Meghan, how they stepped into this royal uh, world and they didn't know all the rules. And as Meghan is being driven to see the queen herself and she's being told, the, she's asked the question as they open the door, have you learned how to curtsy? And Megan said, really? You're really asking me this question? And, and they said, yes, you have to know how to curtsy for the queen. And she said, well, no, I haven't been taught how to curtsy, but I'll do my best. And 
Hey, come on in, y'all. It's nice to see you again. Anyway, I'm going to just dive into a little bit of Parker Palmer here because, um, oh, so Thomas, no, so um, Parker Palmer, there are no accidents in life. And someone gave him book, The Seven Story Mountain, and it's the biography of a man named Thomas Merton, who is um, a monk up there in Gethsemane Monastery in Kentucky. And the Seven Story Mountain is the story of how spirit awoke in him and took him on a path of a relationship to source, the contemplative path of the monk. And um, Thomas Merton found, I mean, Tom, well, I might say that Thomas Merton found Parker Palmer a year after Thomas Merton died. And, and then Parker Palmer said, he not only was my friend, but he taught me how to love and he rescued my soul. And he said, it's not that he died a year before that. He lives in me. And so he says, I went, I got every book, every journal that Thomas Merton wrote because he was waking me up to something that needed to wake up. And, um, and he said, I decided at some stage of my life, I'm going to pursue the spiritual path like he had pursued without going to the monastery. And so he opened the very first thing that Thomas Merton said in Gethsemane to some young monks was, before you can have a spiritual life, you have to get a life. <clears throat> Let those who have here to hear, here to ear, <clears throat> ears to hear, hear. <clears throat> Merton said to these would-be young seekers in his care, he says, men, before you can have a spiritual life, you've got to have a life. And then uh, Parker Palmer says, is he saying, Raul, you got to get a life? And he says, wow, he's right. I need to get a life first. No, wait, I've already got a life. And it's a god-awful mess. But I think he's saying that only there can I find my spiritual path. So whatever life you have is the perfect life for your awakening, even a god-awful life that Parker Palmer was experiencing in the depths of depression. Because right there in the depression, you get to find the light. So here's how he says we get real. He said, the spiritual journey is an endless process of engaging life just as it is. I love it when... Um, uh, Donna Reed brought her grandson to our, uh, I don't remember, was it a class? And this young man who was just in recovery said, I'm embracing life on life's terms. And I heard such wisdom coming from this young man. Parker Palmer saying the same thing, embrace life on life's terms. And it gives you wet towels in the morning. That's what life gave you. I got poop on the kitchen floor this morning. So we all have our moments. Stripping away our illusions about ourselves and our world and the relationship of the two and moving closer to reality as we do. So the process begins with losing the illusion that spirituality will float us above our daily fray. In fact, he says later on, he says, it's not about ascending into your spiritual wholeness, but it's about moving into your darkness and finding that that's the doorway to the light. It's counterintuitive, isn't it? Anastasia, he's telling me to go into the darkness. I'm going to fight. Yep, that's what he's saying. The process begins with losing the illusion that spirituality will float you above the daily fray. Reality may be hard, but it's a safer place to live than in your illusions. Wow. You know, when we get married for the first time, I know for myself, when I, my first relationship, I'm 18, 19, it was all illusory. It was all happily ever after, Prince Charming and happily ever after. It wasn't real. And then when you get the real uh, taste of life, you go, holy cow, 
It's more to it than I thought it was. He's saying, birth the illusions, which will always fail us, the illusion. And at no point is that more true than when you reach old age. Well, even at 79, he's still struggling with the illusions of life. And you know, when he says sometimes life really pisses him off, he said it can be one politician that's preaching hate. And all of a sudden he says, I see how unevolved I am because I wanna take on the battle and fight for something that I care about. He said, old age, death is after all, the end of all your illusions. So why not do what you can now to lose those illusions before death will strip you from all of them? Well, I think it's time to wake up before you find yourself on the threshold of, well, it's time to let go of this incarnation. Well, have you done with this incarnation what you could have done with it? Have you, have you sucked the marrow out of every moment of life? You know, it was Henry David Thoreau that said, uh, I when he wrote Walden Pond, and he, re he removed himself from society, he said, I chose to live my life deliberately so that when I came to the end of my life, I wouldn't have lived somebody else's version of that life. And he said, and my mission is to suck the marrow out of my very existence. He's saying the same thing. Could we live the life from the wisdom of the soul? That's why we're doing that class on the soul. And we're going to leap into January in the seat of the soul and see if we can discover what that is that separate sets us apart. So here's, here's his beautiful formula. He says, my first essay in this thing about getting real is called Contem Contemplative by Catastrophe. Now he talks, what is contemplation? Contemplation, a contemplative path, I'll give him the definition that he puts it. Contemplation is any way that we have of penetrating our illusions and touching our reality. That's what Helen did with Sally. Penetrate the illusions with reality. Speak the truth to the illusions. And could we discover, you know, I was sharing with the revealing service, I love, and that idea of a sense of humor with human life. My little, uh, I don't guess he's called, nephew, grandnephew. Um, he went to a Disney movie this week and he's the one that wears the pink and he's a little um, out of reality here. And he was sobbing in the back seat and his mother said, why are you sobbing, Will? And, and this is, here's illusion. He says, because Santa has put the penguins on the naughty list. And he's sobbing. Santa has put the penguins on the naughty list and he's sobbing. Now, he has the illusion that Santa was going to put the penguins on the naughty list and that little boy was sobbing. I thought, how beautiful is that? Now, who's going to tell him that Santa has no power over the penguins? So he calls it, contemplation is any way that one has a penetrating illusion and touching reality. All forms of contemplation share the same goal, to help us see through the deceptions of our false self and of the world in order to get in touch with what Howard Thurman calls the sound of the genuine within us and all around us. Well, what would that be, Miss Nancy? The sound of the genuine within us and all around us. That's the Orphic voice that Emerson spoke about that's always there, the still small voice that doesn't get louder but gets clearer when we learn to listen with our soul. And so he's inviting us to follow the contemplative path. Go have communion with a tree or a rock whatever it might be. So this is contemplation. He says, I generally do my contemplation after I've had a train wreck. Now he says, you... <laughs> yeah. yep, after I've had the train wreck, then I wake up. And how many of you do the train wreck contemplative path? Oh, there's a couple out there, a little bit. But then you get to a state after a while where you can see that this is the pattern that I'm creating. 
You know, if I can't forgive, I'm going to suffer with my resentment. And so we get to do this work on forgiving the illusion that we might have bought into and setting ourselves free. You know, there's that wonderful show that was called He's Just Not That Into You. I had a hard time with that first one. How could he not be that into me? I thought I was the hottest, sweetest, little, smartest, creative thing on the planet. And I was dumped for one after the other after the other. Well, he wasn't that into me. I had to be into me. He goes on to say, um, I'm going to skip back to wherever I was. I just love this guy. I don't know where I was. That doesn't really matter. Oh, here's where I was. Um, so he talks about the path of contemplation. And then he talks about how Thomas Merton came into his life as the friend, as the rescuer. And what my favorite little thing he said about him, I feel his presence as closely as I feel my face-to-face -face companions. Whoa, I think he's there with him. If you want to know Thomas Merton, go to Parker Palmer because he didn't die. He still lives. Now, could we relate to spirits that are still here that are accessing us at the soul level? I believe that Emerson is coming through me so much. Rumi has a way through me. There's so many of them. You heard Thoreau coming through. Um, the teachers live in us. Thich Nhat Hanh lives in you, and he'll say that. So Parker Palmer's confirming that. His, his third thing about getting real, he says, down is the way to well-being. Staying rooted in the ground of being, no matter how muddy and difficult and devastating it might get. So he says, could you see the contractions of your life? When you see the contraction, he says, that's mercy, that's awakening. When you accept this contraction, well, that's when love begins to awaken. And when you want to help those who are in a contraction like yourself, well, that's when compassion begins to emerge because we're not separate. So when we have those contracted moments, anybody have a few of those? Could we see it as mercy? Because we're seeing it. Holy cow, I'm having a reaction here. I'm, my buttons are getting pushed here. Maybe I need to look at something. I was sharing with my friends here earlier that I was listening to um, Smirkanich on the, Trey loves to watch the shows about investing on the stock market because he's one of those that does that. And people call in for financial advice. And this particular person called in because they were upset that a Virginia restaurant was not going to serve a Christian fundamentalist organization because the waitstaff being gay didn't feel safe. Now, the same people that called in believe that the bakery should have the right to deprive people because of their religious freedoms. And so there was this conversation about should our religious freedoms teach us to judge other people and to exclude them. And I was so thrilled that they were having a conversation and Smirkanish says, could we realize that we can't legislate prejudice, that we get to accept all people where they are, be they gay, be they trans, be they black. And you know, I reflected on here in the South, they used to say that certain places only whites could attend and blacks couldn't attend. Have we evolved to a, a place where everybody's welcome? So down is the way to heal ourselves, to be willing to have the conversation. And then he talks about how Parker Palmer goes off into the woods to have his retreats where he gets to be alone with that voice that counsels him from the deep. And he calls it the solitude that Parker Palmer seeks. Now, this is interesting, Mary. He says, when I go to solitude, it's not because I want to get away from other people. He says, when I go in solitude, it takes me into myself where I can't escape me. So sometimes I leave the world of people and in returning to myself, I meet myself there. 
Now, if I'm meeting the reactive self, could I take my awakened self to the reactive self? Oh, there you are, my little fearful self, my little contracted self, and see it's mercy that the contraction came up so that I could meet the contraction instead of pushing it away again. He does this beautiful testimony in this book about how he severely, Parker Palmer was severely depressed. I mean, it was, he said it was to the degree that I wanted to take my life. And then he said, by opening to the depression, he said, I found grace and I found light and I found healing in that. And so he says, I speak about the depression, not as a horrible thing, but as a doorway for me to find my own liberation. And so he says, for all of those out there who are in depression, I am not the authority on this. He said, I'm just sharing my way and how I found the grace in it. And he says, everyone has to find their own way. Isn't that the beautiful thing in dance? in life, that we get to do our own dance. And it's not Parker Palmer's way, but he's just sharing, consider this. So he goes on to illuminate. Um, he says, the true self, and this is what Thomas Merton, um, Thomas Merton had a, a name for the friend within ourselves, the one that we get to listen to. I keep losing my points. Thomas Merton had a name for the self within ourselves that we, he called it, what did he call it? He called it the friend, he called it the friend. You know, isn't it wonderful when you lose your place and you realize it wasn't supposed to be there anyway? So we'll just dive over here. He says, you find the friend within is the true self and it's waking up. And so he says, it's imparting hope for you. This friendship is something that will come to you when you need it. He talks about this other writer who uh, started reading the mystic writings of Al-Halaj. He was the great Sufi mystic that was um, decapitated over there because he had the chutzpah to say Al-Haq. And al-haq in Arabic means I am that. And to say I am that in the Islamic tradition, you lost your head. Well, Jesus said the same thing. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So here you're having two mystics having a similar demise. And so this man started channeling um, al-halaj. And this is what he said, this friendship began to rescue me. The Muslim mystic had reached out across time and had rescued him. So what if these disembodied spirits can inspire us from the other side? That's what Parker Palmer would have us consider as a possibility. So, you know, when you read inspired works, and Gigi left a lot of books out there. I handed uh, Landon, is it? One of the books called For the Love of God, and it's wonderful essays from people like His Holiness the Dalai Lama talking about his friend from within. Thich Nhat Hanh talking about his friend emerging from within. Every, Stephen Levine, a beautiful Jewish young man who had an awakening through his Buddhist traditions and he really awoke when he married his wife Andrea and she got cancer and he spent his whole life with the living and dying and he wrote a book called Conscious Living and Conscious Dying and he found a whole ministry through his willingness to pivot into new ways of seeing the adversity of life was the transforming element for his life. So what if we could open to this idea? He says, when we do, he says, there's an imparting hope, Gene, to others. And it has nothing to do with exhorting or cheering them on. We're not hopeful because someone is giving the rah-rah positive talk anymore. It's not about Pollyanna metaphysics. It has everything to do with relationships that honor the soul. Whoa, what is he talking about, Nancy? Relationships that honor the soul? I was handing out some little cards from Natalia Zuckerman and uh, she does uh, portraits of her of pets. 
And you know, when you look at the a picture of a pet, there's a soul connection. I mean, it, there is for me. I have I have a soul connection with all my animals, and I think I have soul connections with humans out here too. And there's something so beautiful about that when it it connects you to that part of you that says we're connect we're we're like each other. I'm not separate. I'm not superior to you. When I think I'm loving the animal, the animal's really loving me. And who's to say who is the superior love? I mean, they're here to teach us unconditional love without exception. And we have a soul contract with those four leggeds. So could we extend that maybe to the two leggeds? Well, I guess I have a soul contract with you, Michael, and maybe with you, Miss Gigi. Well, maybe all of you. Maybe that's why you're here, because there's a soul connection. He would have you consider that. He says, it has everything to do with relationships that honor our soul, that relationships that encourage the heart and inspire the mind and quicken the step and heal the wounds that we suffer along the way. Well, isn't that kind of powerful? When you have a relationship with your true self, you heal your stuff. You begin to see that it's all part of you. And the invitation is, could we interspirit with one another, know that we're not separate? And in so doing, we get real. You know, even Landon over there, I asked him, it's his first time here, and I asked about these different people on the book. And I said, do you know Wayne Dyer? And he said, yeah. Yeah, he's still coming through, isn't he? I said, you've heard. There's a book called The We Consciousness where Wayne Dyer, even though he's passed, is now channeling his message. And you know what I find so fascinating about the book We Consciousness, Landon? Wayne Dyer says, it's not me that's channeling this book. It's the We Consciousness that's channeling it. He says, once I left Wayne, he said, once I left Wayne, I moved into this consciousness that is inclusive. Now, what if we, we are the we consciousness now and we begin to experience it by letting down the idea that I'm separate from you? You know, we do a little song here. I am you, you are me, we are one. And in this unity, we will live in harmony. Wouldn't it be nice if the world could live in oneness where we didn't see otherness and then we would have respect and communion with each other, holding every relationship as sacred, nothing profane, all is sacred, even the ones with the little bugs. Oh, I'm just saying bugs are included too. He talks about the quest for the true self, the quest for the true self. And he says this, um, oh, and it, I thought of Barbara Marks Hubbard. What an inspiring woman. You know, she just made her transition, trans, uh, transition uh, in, in her 90s. And um, her whole life was dedicated to getting real. And she's very excited at the end of her life because she said, I discovered there's a thing called vocational arousal. Doesn't that sound almost mm, vocational arousal? Something in you wakes up. I was reminding you of Mark. When you work at the salon, you can do it as I'm creating an intimate place where we get to heal. So it's not labeling it as something just that. No, there's no just that. Every place is a place for intimacy and for spiritual communion. I love to go to restaurants where the atmosphere is as important as the food, as the service, so you feel like you're in a container of love. Now, what if we get to do that with everything, to see it all as a portal for the divine? So he says, looking um, at what Thomas Merton says, I came to see that they were the first steps in a lifelong effort on my part to be responsive to the imperatives of the true self. And, and the true self is that inner voice that keeps saying, you can't not do this. You've got to do it. It's the right thing to do. He says when he was first getting ready to what should I do after I graduated from college, he said I became a community act, act, uh, activist. And he says because my soul said you cannot not do this. 
He said, I had the choice of going to a university with a comfy salary, a cushy little job, teach a couple of classes a week, or being a community activist. Well, because my soul said, you cannot not do this. And he says, that voice has been speaking in my whole life. You know, this is the dog to be rescued. Jody uh, sent out the photograph of Humphrey when she rescued him at the pound 10 years ago, because something in her soul says, I cannot not do this. And so I have him in my life because of her. And that's a lived reality. I find myself traveling toward my, uh, my destiny in the belly of paradox. And then another thing he talks about, when you get real, you realize all of life is paradox. And the paradox is basically um, the thing that you think is the worst oftentimes is the best. I've shared with you when my first relationship ended and I was dumped at, at uh, JFK Airport in New York City. I was devastated and I cried all the way over to Europe. It was the best thing that ever happened to me. I saw um, last night on Turner Classic Movies, they're having a retrospective of a Gemini, Judy Garland. And she did a, a movie in the good old summertime. It's a Christmas movie and it's based on um, the Shop Around the Corner, that famous movie in the 1930s, all about paradox. It's about two people that hate each other. They just can't stand each other. It's Van Johnson and Judy Garland, and they work in the same office, and she, he just pushes all her buttons, he pushes hers, and she pushes his, and they can't stand each other. In the meantime, they're both corresponding. This is before you had dating services. Um, they're writing letters to dear friend. So he writes a letter and they go to their post office and they, get, they don't know their name and they're finding this love affair with a total stranger. But in the meantime, they hate each other at work. Isn't that the paradox? And you know, Trey and I are going to have our 47th anniversary on December 16th. And he's the only person that I ever hated with a vengeance because he's the one that broke up the first relationship. So isn't this the paradox that the one that you hated in that movie at the end it becomes the great love of her life. And they even made a musical called She Loves Me. Anybody seen the musical She Loves Me? It's my favorite musical. And there's a scene when she's at home and he's at the workplace and she hates him and he hates her and he shows up on her doorstep and he brings her a container of ice cream. And it's as if she had the transformational moment. Ice cream, he bought me ice cream. And that was the moment my heart would open, knew it, I think he knew it, it was always there. And so she sings this big thing about the bowl of ice cream. The ice cream woke her up. I love little things like that. And when she woke up from her illusion, she realized that the love was not what she thought it was. So Parker Palmer, in this beautiful little section of the book, section two, where he talks about getting real, where he goes off to experience solitude, he experiences the solitude to find himself. And he goes to a remote place at, up in Minnesota, right at the Canadian border. He goes there by himself every year in January when it's freezing cold and he connects with the friend within, with the source within. He learns to listen to that. And I'm gonna close with a little poem that Palmer, Parker Palmer wrote and invite all of us to go into that same space with him because we're not separate. And there's something about the language of a poem and he calls it coming home coming home to yourself. And what does it say up here, Landon? I have arrived, I am home. So he's taking us to a place that's always already there and we get to remember it. And sometimes nature will remind us. So I think I'll do this twice. The first time it will go to the surface and then the second time, well, let's let it fall deep into the, into the belly of the soul. What do you say? Well, I think that's a good idea. If I can find the poem somewhere in here. Oh, I put, well, I thought I put the thing down. 
You know, I'm, I'm so disorganized. I need it. Oh, there it is. It's called Welcome Home. So I invite you to close your eyes. Remind, he's up there at very frigid, he's probably there now, very frigid Canada, Minnesota, alone in the alien snow-blown woods, moving hard to stay warm in sub-zero weather. I stop on a rise to catch my breath as the sun, setting through bare-boned trees, falls upon my face, fierce and full of life. Breathing easy now, breathing with the earth, I suddenly feel accepted. I feel myself stand my own ground strongly, deep-rooted as a tree, while time and all troubles disappear. And when, who knows how long, I move on down the trail and I find my ancient burdens returning to me, I stop once more to say no, not here, not now, and not ever again, reclaiming the welcome home of the woods and knowing that it has given me the reality of wholeness, restoring me to a sacred balance of peace and hope and gratitude. I have arrived. I am home. Welcoming home. I am alone in the alien snow-blown woods, moving hard to stay warm in sub-zero weather. I stop on a rise to catch my breath as the sun setting through bare-boned trees falls upon my face, fierce and full of life. Breathing easy now, breathing with the earth, I suddenly feel accepted, feel myself stand my own ground, strong, deep-rooted as a tree, while time and all troubles just disappear. And when, who knows for how long, I move on down the trail and find my ancient burdens returning, I stop once more and I say no. Not here. Not now. Not ever again. And in so reclaiming the welcome home these woods have given me and the reality of wholeness restoring me to sacred balance, to peace, to hope, to gratitude. So Jody, if you'll ring the bell. We align with that awareness. knowing that we have arrived in present moment awareness and that we are in that spacious field of divine love called home. It was Rumi that said, out beyond the ideas of right thinking and wrong thinking, there is this field. And when the soul lies down in that field, words are not necessary. Even the idea each other does not exist. And then he says, I will meet you there. And this is where Parker Palmer brought us at the end of his journey to that place 
that is welcoming us, that's restoring us to sanity, the true self that knows no other. Huh, and we smile. And we rest as that. In that resting place, we realize there's nothing to do. There's nothing to fix. The world doesn't need to be fixed. But there is a beautiful opportunity to see it with fresh eyes, to see it from the contemplative perspective, that I'm looking through the illusion and I'm seeing a truth shine through, a truth that says there's only one life. It's God's life, it's perfect. And it's everywhere revealing itself in its multiplicity, in its authenticity, in its uniqueness. And it's saying, be who you are. Be the unique expression of this divine presence. In our class, Emerson reminded us to envy is to be ignorant and to imitate is suicide. He says, show me an individual thinker and I will show you the universe unleashed in its spiritual magnificence. And so we open to this discovery that Thomas Merton found by going within that ignited the same spark within Parker Palmer by going within. Uh, we smile because it's waiting for us. Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven. And the word he used in Aramaic was Malkutha. And Malkutha means the sovereign counsel of God. And so when you seek the kingdom of heaven, you're seeking this guidance system from within that Thomas Merton spoke about, the true friend, the self within the self. And it's there in its wisdom, in its depth. And this wisdom comes from the soul. And so we shift out of our egoic identity of me into the oversoul of the one, the emerging presence of the one. And then we dare to evolve as that. We smile because as Parker Palmer <laughs> says, I'm using the wisdom of the soul. And then he says, no, no, no. The soul's wisdom is using me. And so in that deep surrender to something that is bigger than we are, we wait upon the Lord. We wait upon the emergence and we trust the divine love is bringing together and is maintaining together those who belong together. So divine love brought Merton to Palmer. Divine love brought you to me. Divine love brought Trey to me and me to Trey. Divine love brought Pepper to Anastasia so I could see her face. Divine love's in charge of this whole thing. And we smile. Yes, beloved, this life belongs to you. I trust in all that you bring me as gifts for my growth. And in that I get real. And in getting real, I am free. This too is good. This too is for God. And I demand to see the blessing in all that life brings me. Uh, let's join in the heart salutation. If you will, put your hand over your heart and say to this presence, I honor you. I respect you. I love you. You are the emerging laughter of the universe. 
putting life in perspective. Knowing that life is a glorious adventure. We receive the grace of its emergence. With cheerful expectancy. And great enthusiasm. Open your eyes. The penguins support you in this. And you're not on the naughty list anymore. No, no. Santa would never do that. No. For more information, please visit www.cslhuntsville.org. You are love and you are light. Namaste. Yeah.